Hey, this is Tanner Sherlock. I'm the pastor at Shadow State Chi Alpha. And this is our podcast where our mission is to make disciples who then make disciples. Be sure and subscribe so you can get our content every time we post. And I pray that this message blesses you today. God bless. So take a second. Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Now imagine in front of you your dream meal. Okay. Imagine like that meal that like they always talk about like your uh, death row meal. You know it's going to be your last meal. What is it? I just picture it in front of you. Now for me, I'm going to explain mine. And if your mine's different than yours, cool. But my dream meal would just be a big old prime rib steak, thick cut, just seasoned to perfection, juicy. My wife's garlic mashed potatoes with just like copious amounts of garlic in it. Like so much garlic, like you would think that it wouldn't taste good, but it's amazing. And then some, uh, an ear of sweet corn with butter on it. And the steak is so juicy that it, the juices kind of flow into the mashed potatoes and onto the corn. Like, and then like a, a cheesecake brownie sitting next to it in a different dish because we don't want the steak juices hitting the cheesecake brownie. It's like, take a a second. Think about your meal. If you can't come up with one, feel free to steal mine. Just think about that meal for a second. Like, I'm talking the meal that's so good that like you can only eat it once a year because it's so unhealthy for you. Like that meal. Like, what is that meal to you? Okay, now imagine that same meal, but think about that maybe the meat that they used had been sitting out at room temperature for like a week. Now, imagine like, for mine, imagine that they dug up the corn and the mashed potatoes, they just pulled it out of a dumpster and slopped it on a dish. They doctored it up, made it look nice. You guys can open your eyes. How quickly did your perspective change once the ingredients changed? How like you're drooling, you're chomping at the bait, like you're like thinking about, I'm going to plan this meal this weekend because it's so appetizing. It's so realistic in front of me. And then you start thinking about rancid meat and immediately it turns you off to it. You start thinking about spoiled ingredients or maybe they served it to you on a trash can lid with maggots all around it. Like that changes things, right? Like all of a sudden that perfect meal, like now imagine it's the, the perfect meal. All the ingredients are perfect, but it's served to you with maggots on it. Or another unappetizing bug if you like to eat maggots. I don't know, Jack, bro. That's you. I know Jack would, I'll say Jack's like ready to go. He's like, ooh, maggots. That sounds great. I'm going to work out one more time tonight for it. But the rest of us aren't psycho wrestlers like Jack is. And so it changes our perspective a little bit. It makes that become instantly unappealing. It makes it become instantly unattractive to us. And so in first and uh, Philippians, so we're going through Philippians one. We're going to make our way all the way through the book of Philippians. And so Paul is basically setting out in, in Philippians one to kind of challenge the book in Philippi to have the right perspective. 
Now, having the right perspective when thinking about amazing, delicious, juicy, good food. Our perspective, when we know that it's going to be delicious, we know that it's prepared right, we know that everything is in line and it's that dream meal and it's, it's up to us and we've got it prepared exactly how we want it. And how quickly our perspective can change when we throw in some maggots, some dirt, some rancid meat. Paul's basically trying to establish in the, in the church of Philippi to have the right perspective right off the bat. Starting in verse 1, he's immediately beginning to establish a proper perspective. So if you guys have Bibles, go ahead and turn in them. Um, we're going to be reading, and if you don't, we can just read from the screen. <clears throat> starting in verse 3. says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Verse 7, so it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Jesus Christ. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. <clears throat> so the foundations of the book of Philippians, the foundations are built within this. And basically what Paul is trying to do is he's setting up to the audience, the church in Philippi, the relationship. So Paul is right off the bat establishing, hey, I want you guys to remember how much I care for you guys, how much I love you guys, how much you guys mean to me. I mean, even with uh, my relationship with Jack and having one-on-ones and my relationship with Porter and having one-on-ones, like I constantly try to remind these guys, I try to remind you guys that like, hey, dude, like Porter, how many times have I told you that I love you? A lot. Because I want to establish, before we even start to meet, I want to establish, hey, like, dude, I seriously, I care for you. I love you. Like, I want the best for you. And I hope that you can come into this one-on-one. I hope you can come into this conversation recognizing, hey, there's a relationship here. Paul does the same thing. He's praying for the church. He's letting them know, hey, I love you guys. Hey, I care for you guys. And then I want you, I want this for you. And so he immediately begins to pray for them. Jack, how many times have I prayed for you, bro? Exactly. It's a lot. So I've established that relationship with Jack. I've established that relationship with the guys that I'm discipling. And so Paul's doing the same thing here. And so he's letting them know what I'm praying for you guys. And so it's, it's summarized by this. He's praying, I hope that you would be more loving. I hope that you would increase in God. I hope that you would be more discerning. I hope that you would be pure in how you live your life. 
And I hope that you would increase in your understanding of God. Man, those five things right there, those five things are so powerful for us. They're so powerful for us in our walk. And so this is one of those things where this is a moment where outside of the sermon, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a rabbit trail. How many of you guys have been praying for somebody? Somebody is asking for prayer. or You know somebody that just needs prayer and you have no clue what to pray for them. Come into Philippians verse one, or uh, start, starting in um, Philippians 1 and go through this and pray this for them. This is honestly one of the most powerful ways to pray for somebody. You're literally going through the list of, you're praying that they would, um, that they would be more loving. You can pray that they experience more love, that they would experience more knowledge and increase in knowledge for God, that they would be more discerning of what is good and what is bad for their life. Like those are powerful things, right? You would pray that they would be more pure in how they live their life, that they would live their life more according to God's will for their life. Like that's powerful. And then the last thing that he's saying is that they would increase in their understanding for God. Like as Christians, as, as somebody sitting in here, those are exactly the same things I pray for you guys. I pray every single one of these things for you when I'm praying for each and every one of you guys. If you're on our email list, like I pray for you. If I have your text message and you sent me a message, I pray for you. Ladies, if you sent Courtney a text, like we pray for you guys. And this is the stuff we pray. So if you're ever in a moment, like I said, this is a rabbit trail, but if you're ever in a moment when you just don't know how to pray, Pull out Philippians and pray for them the same way that Paul prayed for the church in Philippi. Because Paul has a loving relationship for these people. And I feel like if we could just uh, pray for people the same way as he prayed for them, bro, that's some powerful prayer. But back to what we were talking about. Paul is establishing that relationship. He's establishing, hey, I care for you guys. I want to set the foundations for the rest of what I have to say has to be built on this foundation. It has to be built on the foundation of knowing that I love you guys, that I care for you guys. Like this isn't Paul just saying, hey, you guys, especially in the book of Philippians, it's not Paul just saying, hey, guys, you guys are screwing up. You're doing some stupid stuff. I've heard word about it. You guys have never met me. I know you've never met me. I know you have no clue who I am, but you need to fix yourself. Like, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, I've never, ever, ever met you guys, but you should just trust me, trust who I am, trust that I have authority in Christ, and listen to me. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, I've built a relationship with you guys. I love you guys. And if you guys were here last week, you remember that um, Paul helped to plant the church in Philippi. There was a group of women who were there praying and this group of women planted the church and Paul basically came in, gave them correct doctrine that he had experienced and basically said like, here you go, here's the keys, build the church. And so he has a close relationship with them. And so as Paul begins to lay down a few more perspectives, he just wants them to remember. He wants them to remember these things. He wants them to remember the relationship He wants them to remember who they are to God. He wants them to remember their place in the kingdom of Christ. He wants them just to be thinking of these things as the letter continues. And then he goes in and he kind of reminds them, hey, don't forget, like, I'm in prison right now. He goes on from here after this. He says, hey, like, Don't forget, I'm in prison, and in my absence, there's people who have replaced me. Some of them have good intentions, some of them have bad. 
Some of them are sharing about Jesus. Basically, they saw my absence and they stepped in and they wanted the spotlight. And there's some people who saw my absence and they stepped in and they actually just want to continue the work that I have been doing. And so he's basically giving them a, hey, just make sure the people that are speaking actually have you and Jesus's uh, in mind, you and Jesus in mind as they share about you and not their own selfish ambition. And so then we jump down to verse 20. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn into it. <clears throat> it probably won't be on the screen because my wife is taking care of our son. I apologize for that. But in verse 20, and I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or whether I die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which one is better. I'm torn between these two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your life, of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ because of what He is doing through me. Verse 27, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And what's going on here is Paul is trying to remind the church of Philippi, your perspective matters. The perspective that you have on life matters. Paul's perspective matters. Each and every single one of your guys' perspective on life matters. Because if our perspective is stuck on this world, is stuck on the mundane, is stuck on a selfish reason, we will never get past that. And that's easy to say when you're not going through hardship, but it is hard to do when you are going through hardship. Now I can tell you I've experienced two big hardships in my life that have actually absolutely wrecked me. The first was when my mom died, and the second was when my dad died. When my mom passed away, my perspective was on why. Why, God, why did you take my mom? My mom was a solid Christian. She was the only other Christian in my entire family. Both sides. And so my perspective was on why. Why didn't you heal my mom? Why didn't you heal her of her kidney disease? Why didn't you heal the things that were ailing her? She had dreams. She wanted to stay around. She didn't even get a chance to meet her grandson. She didn't get to stick around. She wasn't here. Why, God? Why? And man, it wrecked my life. And eventually... I felt like the Holy Spirit convicted me and basically said, hey, your mom's a Christian. Do you want her back on earth for you or for her sake? And that snapped my perspective back real quick because I remembered my mom gets to be in heaven. My mom gets to experience the things that we only dream of experience. My mom doesn't have to have any more pain. She's not dealing with the, the, the jacked up kidneys. She's not dealing with all of those issues and those ailments anymore. She's getting to live in heaven right now. 
my perspective shifted. And then, as a result of my mom dying, my dad sought me out as a Christian. He wasn't. Sought me out, started coming to church, and started actually learning things about Jesus because he didn't know how to handle my mom's death. He didn't know how to cope. He didn't know what was going on. And so he, he sought out church. He sought out Jesus. He sought out me. And I got a chance to minister to my dad. And my dad began to give his life to Christ because my mom passed away. So then when my dad passed away, I remembered my perspective. I remembered what was important. I remembered that my dad got to be in heaven and he got to be in heaven because my mom died first. And so it absolutely changed my perspective, the way that it all played out. I couldn't have ever dreamed that it would play out that way. I honestly never saw my dad becoming a Christian. If you know my childhood, some of you guys that I've shared with, you know my childhood. I never genuinely ever believed my dad would become a Christian. I, didn't, I did not think it was possible. But it changed my perspective. And so your life is going to have hardships. And if you haven't had hardships and you have no clue what I'm talking about, like what it's like to lose someone you love or what it's like to, you know, I, my wife was on her deathbed at one point in time and we're going through the process of her having to go through surgery in order to even save her life. Like there's some hardships that just bring you to your knees. And in those moments, if your perspective is stuck on woe is me and why, it can drive you away from your relationship with God. However, in those moments, if you keep your perspective correct and you keep your perspective on Christ, it helps us through those hardships. It helps us through those times where we just can't And so here, Paul is in jail, and he doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. Paul's in jail. He straight up says, I don't even know. I also don't know what's better for me. I don't know if it's better for me to live or if it's better for me to die. And he's thinking through, and he's keeping his perspective. And he's like, dude, if, if it's selfish reasons, if it's just for me, it's actually better that I die. Because then I get to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Then I get to be with Christ. And so if I'm not dead, if God is keeping me alive, if Jesus is keeping me alive, there has to be a very good reason. And he straight up says that I recognize that it's better for your sake that I stay alive. Jack, it's better for me that you're alive. Porter, it's better for me that you're alive. You bring fruit to my life, man. And hopefully vice versa. When we keep our perspective on that, when we keep our perspective on what really matters on this earth, those big, huge hardships, those things, and especially the small hardships, like the things that are probably most often going to occur to us, like, man, you got a big, huge test that you forgot to study for, or man, you're just struggling in this class. Or maybe if it's even bigger than that, and it's, man, you've been struggling with anxiety and depression, and you just can't kick it. you got a sin in your life, and you just can't get past it. This hardship is just absolutely wrecking your world. I can't promise you that you're going to be miraculously healed. 
But I can promise you that if you get your perspective right, it makes it a lot easier. It makes everything a lot easier. And so Paul is sitting in heaven, or sitting in heaven, well, he is now, but at this point in time, he's sitting in jail. He's got his perspective on Christ. He's got his perspective on what matters in life. And he knows that in spite of the fact that he used to murder Christians, in spite of the fact that he used to hunt down, he used to go city to city to find Christians to imprison them, to have them stoned, to have them killed. In spite of the fact that he's, he calls himself the chief of sinners. In spite of the fact, that fact, he still knows that it's better for him to live because of how he can serve Christ. It's better for him to be here for what it means to those around him. It's better for him to be here for the people and the brothers and the sisters and the people that he loves, the people that he's teaching, the people that he's mentoring, the people he, that he's discipling. Those mutual friends of his. Those people who are along the walk the same as he is. It's better for him. And he knows that heaven's on the other side. He knows that this entire life is just a training ground. It's, just, it's not even a training ground. It's just a, a, a temporary until we get to heaven. He's keeping his perspective on that. Heaven is just on the other side of this light. Heaven is just on the other side of this hardship. Heaven is just on the other side of this depression. Heaven is just on the other side of this anxiety. Heaven is just on the other side of my mom passing away. Heaven is just on the other side of the, and the the grand scheme of eternity, heaven is literally just on the other side of these hardships and these problems. And he can get through being in prison. He can get through being in jail because he has the right perspective. Because he's keeping his mind on these things that are good. And so tonight, maybe that's you. Maybe you consider yourself the, the chief of sinners. Like you just, you just can't rein it in. You're struggling. Maybe you're so focused, you've been so focused on your hardships, you've been so focused on your mistakes, you've been so focused on the things that are going wrong in your life, the things that you just can't see past. <clears throat> and I can tell you that a shift in your perspective can make a massive difference in your life. And the second thing that Paul's perspective helps him with is in knowing. Knowing that if he is serving God faithfully and yet he is in prison, that Jesus can still be honored. That when even life goes wrong, when things don't fall right, when crap hits the fan, when things are tough, when it seems like everything in your life is going wrong, even in that failure, even in that wrongness, even in that struggle, Jesus can still be honored. And he's saying, even from prison, even from jail, there are people around me that would have never heard about Jesus if it wasn't for the fact that I was here. 
When my wife was in the hospital, there were doctors and nurses that even though she was in there for uh, two weeks, and it seemed like everything that could go wrong went wrong. There were doctors and nurses that we got to show the love of Jesus to. A surgeon botched her surgery, and we got to show forgiveness to that surgeon. We got to show Christ to people around us. In the middle of the hardship, in the middle of the disaster, in the middle of I can't get past this, Jesus can still be honored. And so maybe this is you tonight. Maybe you're sitting here and you're just not sure what your future has in store. Maybe you don't know what your major is going to be, what degree you want. Or maybe you know exactly what your degree is, but still deep inside of you, you just feel something missing. You feel like there's just something missing. You got your whole life planned out, but deep down you're just saying, I know there has to be something more. I can feel that something that's missing. I can feel that something that's just not there. Something in my life just isn't right, even though I have everything planned out, all of my direction. I know what God wants me to do, but I'm still struggling. I don't have that. There is more to your life. There has to be more to your life than your major. There has to be more to your life than your future plans as far as your career, your education, your school, your future spouse. There has to be more. And Paul's reminding the church of Philippi, he's saying, hey, remember to not allow yourself to become a prisoner to your own mind. Don't become a prisoner to your own future. Don't become a prisoner to your your major. Don't become a prisoner to your education. Don't become a prisoner to your spouse. And for me, don't become a prisoner to my son. Because Christ still comes first and He has to come first in our lives. And as we begin to shift our perspective, as we begin to make that change, and as we begin to focus on Jesus and make Him number one in our lives, a lot of that other stuff that you were worrying about becomes smaller. It becomes less anxiety-ridden. It comes with less depression. It comes with less anxiety. Those decisions become easier to make because we realize that ultimately the important thing is that Jesus Christ is on His throne. And if you make mistakes, I was just talking to Jordan about it, God is big enough that if you make a mistake, He's big enough that He can correct you. If you're serving Christ and you have your eyes focused on Christ and you're serving Him, if you make the wrong decision, He has the power to right those wrongs. He has the power to make things right in your life. But we get so caught. We get so paralyzed by fear. By fear of the unknown. By fear of what people will think of us. By fear of what people will think. We get caught by that fear and it paralyzes us. And now, instead of Jesus Christ being on His throne, fear is on His throne. And we've elevated fear to a God in our lives because we're so afraid of what other people think of us. We're afraid of what people might do, what people might say. We're afraid of what might happen. We're afraid our dreams won't play out. We're afraid that we have to make some sacrifices. We're afraid that, insert the fear here, 
when we get caught up on those fears, those fears become our gods. And so as you guys go throughout your semester, as you go out throughout your college career, and, and some of you guys are seniors getting ready to graduate, some of you guys are freshmen just stepped in here, man, take this semester, take it one semester at a time, and make the decision and say, you know what, hey, I hear what Tanner's saying. I hear what he's saying about fear. I hear what he's saying about perspective. And this semester, I'm going to make Christ number one. And just see what happens. See how much more peace is in your life. Because I've been there. I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I've been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. I've been diagnosed with manic depression. I've attempted suicide. I've there's so many things. I've been in jail. I talked about that last week. Like I've made a lot of dumb choices in my life. I've had a lot of things wrong with my life. But man, Jesus. Like it really is that simple for me. And I want you guys to walk in that too. And it's not because I'm, I have some weird agenda where I'm going to count, oh, I got people who give their life to Christ this year. I want it for you because I know how good it is. I've walked in the goodness of Jesus Christ. I've, I've sat at His feet and I've felt peace in the midst of chaos, in the midst of death, in the midst of everything going on wrong in my life. I've sat at His feet and felt that peace. And I want you to be able to sit at His feet and feel that same peace. Because it is that it is that good. And everybody bow your heads. We're just going to pray. Lord, we give tonight over to You. And we thank You for what You're doing in here. We thank You for shifting our focus. We thank You for helping us to keep You number one. I want you to just take a second. And I, and I just ask that God, I just ask that the Holy Spirit will highlight something that I said to you. I pray that something from my sermon will just come to your brain right now. Whatever that thing is, whatever it is that I said, I want you to take just a second. I want you to think about it. I want you to meditate on that. If you can't think of anything from my sermon, think of something from Philippians that we read. And just take a second and meditate on that. And ask God, why did you bring that up to my mind? Why do you have me focused on this? What's the reason?
So this next stage in prayer, really ultimately I just, so you understand what's going on, it's more for me and for you than it is for anybody else, okay? So I'm gonna ask some questions and if it applies to you, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. What that does is you're basically letting me know, hey, this is something that I need prayer for and this is something I wanna admit to. But really the power in it is between you and Jesus. It's not between you and me. And so if you don't feel like raising your hand or you don't want to raise your hand, like you're not going to miss out on prayer. Jesus is big enough. Like, but I do ask for, for my sake, help me to pray for you. So if tonight you've just kind of been struggling. I must specifically call out anxiety and depression. If you've been struggling with anxiety and depression this semester so far, and you're just saying, I need to shift my perspective to Jesus. I've been focused on my anxiety and depression. I've been struggling with my anxiety and depression. And maybe even as far as I've made anxiety and depression my God because of how much I've let it consume me. If that's you, Raise your hand. Okay, I see all of you guys' hands. You can put them down. I'm going to pray to that specific need. Lord, every single person that raised their hand, God, I pray that your presence would be with them, that you would fall upon them, that Lord, that you would grant them your peace. Lord, that you would help them in their need right now. They're saying, I need you, Jesus. I need help. I can't stop focusing on this. It's struggling. And and I'm struggling with this. I want to put you first in my life, Jesus. I want to put you as my God in my life, Jesus. To every person that raised their hand, Lord, I just pray that your presence will fall upon them here tonight. And that as they walk out of this room, they'll walk out of this room healed. They'll walk out of this room with the right perspective and they'll walk out of this room with your presence. Now, if tonight you've never really made Jesus number one in your life, but you're hearing what I'm saying and you're hearing what I'm saying is that man... (laughs) It's kind of awesome. And tonight you just like to say, you know what? I just want to make Jesus number one. I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior, not just my Savior. If that's you tonight and you know that you need to put Jesus number one in your life, and right now you know I'm talking to you. You can feel it. Because God is talking to you. If that's you tonight, can I ask you to raise your hand? I see you guys' hands. You can put them down. I'm going to pray to that specific need. Lord, (sighs) Jesus, you are so good. You really are. These students raise their hands and they're saying, 
I need to put you first. I need to put you number one. I need to put you above my agenda. I need to put you above my family's agenda. I want to know what it's like to serve you. I want to know what it's like to to make you my Lord. I want to know what it's like to make you my Savior. God, for those people tonight, God, right now, I just pray that your presence will fall on them, that they can feel that you're real. I know it's not about feeling. We need to move past our feeling and knowing Jesus. But tonight, Lord, just for the sake of of just experiencing your presence. As I talked about sitting at the foot of Jesus and experiencing your peace, tonight I pray that you would fall and Holy Spirit, that you would fall on every student who raised their hand, that they could tangibly feel that you are real in their life right now. It wouldn't be a guessing game anymore. It wouldn't be a maybe if Jesus is real, but it would be a no, that night I felt Jesus' presence and I know that he's real and so I can put him number one in my life. I pray that you would take the guessing game away and help them to serve you. Help them to make you number one. And if tonight... Man, you've just been struggling, but you can't really put your finger on it. Something just hasn't quite felt right this semester. Something just, the the keys haven't fallen into place. The, the, The puzzle pieces just don't seem to be fitting. And it almost just feels like there's just something missing. And maybe you can't even pinpoint what that something is. But as I talked to my sermon and I was talking about how there's just that void, that missingness, that just almost aimless direction. And you don't even know what direction to go. If that's you tonight, I ask you to raise your hand. All right, I see all of you guys' hands. I'm going to put them down. Thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable. So Lord, I pray to this need, Lord, that... Right now, God, I just pray that you would speak to their minds and their hearts. Every single person that just raised their hand, you speak to their minds and hearts and show them what's missing. Show them the direction. Show them even if just it's the next step they need to take. Whatever that next step is, I pray that you would vocalize it to them, that you would show them, that you would immediately bring it to their heart, to their mind. That next step they need to take in their life whether it's searching after you, whether it's something simple like going to retreat, whether it's something else, Lord. Maybe it's just fellowship. Man, they've just been missing Christian fellowship and they need to bring brothers and sisters in Christ around them more often. They just need to be with each other more often. If that's it, I pray that whatever it is, you would speak it to their heart and their minds and not let them leave here without a better perspective. And so last, but certainly not least, if tonight you just recognize, hey, (laughs) school's been going on for three weeks, two weeks, whatever, two and a half weeks, and (laughs) my perspective has already gotten off. And you just recognize that you just need Christ's help. You need Christ's help to keep your focus on Him 
even if it's just a little bit. It doesn't need to be life-changing, but it's, it's enough that you notice your perspective is off. If that's you, would you raise your hand tonight? All right, I see all your guys' hands. And so, Lord, we pray for perspective. We thank you for your gentle guidance. We thank you for your gentle nudge. We thank you for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from you, to feel your presence, and to, Lord, search after you. And so we give this service. We give ourselves over to you, and I pray that you would help us and help every student. And, and I'm, I'm raising my hand in that just to be vulnerable. I'm raising my hand in that. My perspective has been a little bit off. Pray that every single person that raised their hand, that you would help them, that you would give them motivation, that you would put the people around them that they need around themselves in order to keep that perspective and to keep their, their sight set on you, to keep the correct perspective. Just like, the, just like Paul's reminding the church in Philippi, hey, stay right the path. Heaven's on the other side. Stay right in the path. I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for that. And so last, I just pray, Lord, that you would solidify in our hearts and our minds what, what we raised our hands for tonight, the things that we asked prayer for, the feelings we felt. God, if we felt God's presence tonight, I pray that you would solidify it in our minds and in our hearts. And God, I pray that you would protect us that you protect us against any attacks from the enemy, any attacks from the enemy to try to steal away what happened tonight. I pray protection. I pray pillars of fire around every single one of these students that the enemy would not be able to snatch what you've done tonight. And Lord, I pray that as these guys and girls, uh, men and women, go about their week, Lord, that you would help them to focus on you, help them to keep their perspective right and help them to understand you just a little bit better, to get to know you just a little bit more, and to grow closer to each other in fellowship, grow closer to each other in you and in unity. Lord, we give ourselves over and we thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives. It is in your name we pray. Amen. So tonight I want to challenge you guys just one extra step beyond what we talked about, beyond our perspective. I want you to find somebody in this room. You don't have to do it now. It could be a few days from now. It could be tonight when we're hanging out afterwards. doesn't matter when. But I want you to look around and find somebody here. It could be me. It could be my wife. It could be somebody here. And just share. Share what you raised your hand for. Share what your prayer needs are. Share what's going on in your life. Share something. Like I said, it could be somebody else in this room. It could be me. It could be my wife. Um, I, I don't care who it is. There's nothing. I'm, there's nothing significant in who it is. We're all we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all searching after the same thing. We're all learning in the same ways. But find somebody because for for reasons that the Bible talks about and sometimes don't make sense to me, just sharing it with somebody helps. Having that conversation helps. It both helps in accountability and it helps us to kind of like go, you know what, yeah, I'm going to vocalize, I'm going to share what this need is 
and it just kind of makes it solid in your brain a little bit. So, all right, outside of that, um, I just want you all to know, just as I tell Jack all the time, just as I tell Porter all the time, I love you guys. We care for you. And uh, we seriously do really care for you guys. And so go about this week, keeping your perspective correct, keeping Christ number one, and man, all the rest will be added to you. Love you guys.